0: so okay how old are you Devin? you know I'm, asking. I'm 25 okay so 25 and most you're right so what works better phone calls or texts for conversion for conversion not what's easier i'm just curious What, do you, <laughs> as a 25 year old sure. uh what do you find works better for conversion
1: texts or phone calls phone calls 100 it's without a doubt
0: the most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation. Welcome to Island B Rookie Mortgage Broker Podcast. Every Friday, I talk to a rookie who's making waves in the mortgage industry to find out how they're succeeding. Today on the show, I have Devin Lanson. He took our 10 Steps to 10 Million program, and we coached him on building a referral-based business. We no longer run this program, but I'll talk about that a little bit later. Got licensed in May of 2020. Only did $1 million that first year had lots of learning to do. Last year he funded five and a half million and is already on track to double that this year. A couple of quick things in my conversation with Devin. First, why you must, must, must have an explanation for any credit or income challenges or any challenges really on a file and let the underwriter know upfront because he'll share with you what happens if we don't. We talk about how he uses Instagram to grow his business. And we talk talking on why he focuses on getting realtors outside of his target market. So expanding outside of his target market, which I think can be a, a clever thing to do. In today's Ask the Expert segment, I talked to Reuven from d about what do consumers really want before we jump into that, let me give a shout out to our title sponsor, Finmo. Finmo is a Canadian mortgage application, document collection submission platform designed specifically for Canadians. It's very easy to use, has a couple of cool features. One is called Smart Docs. So as the client's filling up the app, it knows what documents to ask for. When you go to hit submit, it also pulls all of key data from the application called Smart Submission Notes. And finally, it's connected to Lender Spotlight, which means that you can go search rates, guidelines, policies, and once you select that lender, before you hit the submit button, it'll pop up on your screen. Hey, you're sending it to the lender XYZ. Don't forget about that. that, that. You're like, oh, right. Good thing to know. The whole purpose is to save you time, make your business run more efficiently, not waste lenders time. You can check them out at LendS.com Finmo and book a free demo. And yeah, check out this conversation with Devin. Hey, Devin, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thanks for having me on, Scott. It's an honor.
0: Hey, okay, so tell me a little bit about yourself and where you're from.
1: Yeah, so I uh, grew up between Milton, Ontario and Mississauga. I was born in Mississauga and was there for a few years before I moved to Milton, Ontario. I have family who is all over the East Coast, so I was kind of going back between Milton and the East Coast and visiting family throughout my whole life. Where on the East Coast? Yeah. So New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, mainly, mainly New Brunswick. That's where a majority of my family is from. Nobody
0: in Newfoundland. That's where my family's from.
1: Nobody in Newfoundland, oh, unfortunately. Okay.
0: <laughs> okay, so Yeah. I love the East coast, man. The people that are so friendly. It's yeah. A different vibe for sure.
1: It is. Feels like home. It's awesome out there. So yeah, that's exactly
0: it. it. So tell me, how did you get into the mortgage business? So when and then how?
1: Yeah, so about two years and two months ago. So in May of 2020, I got officially licensed. My dad is a business owner currently, which may be coming to an end soon because he's planning to retire. However, watching my dad growing up, you know, work his way up through a company and then becoming the business owner that he was. I really took to that and it was very motivating to me that I realized pretty early on I wanted to own a business. I had no idea what exactly I wanted to do, but it was always a thing for me that I did want to own my own business and eventually, you know, work. Way up as my dad did. I went to school actually for customs and border control and policing. And as I kind of went into the customs and border services role, I was actually on the business side. So I was doing client management and stuff like that, which was you weren't the guy like
0: opening up suitcases and no, no. (laughs) you know, Adam Coltish is a mortgage broker who used to be border patrol and he was one of the guys that opened suitcases and he was actually on a TV show. That we okay. used to have, like, it's pretty yeah. funny. I was on the plane once and I see, I'm like, let's freaking out. I'm going to take a picture. I'm like, dude, what's <laughs> up with this? And he's a very successful mortgage me. broker in the West Coast. But you were in the marketing. I had to explain that. I don't even know. Like, do yeah. you even need to market the border? Like, honestly, it's like either want to cross it or you don't.
1: <laughs> no, great question. So I was on the business side. So okay, I was okay. actually in a glorified sales position, basically, and doing client management for imports and exports mm-hmm. into Canada, yeah. uh, which was kind of, I guess, what gave me my first perspective of what it was like to run a business, even though I wasn't obviously taking care of accounting and, you know, all the other things, admin and stuff like that. I was basically running my own business. I just wasn't really benefiting fitting from it because I was just making a salary but yeah I was doing that for a while and then basically I realized it wasn't what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. I really enjoyed finance quite a bit. I was investing in stuff like that. I was very very hard on myself when it came to saving and so I decided to actually do a complete U-turn and start taking the real estate license course through Humber when they first introduced the course and the course had all kinds of bugs. It was honestly horrible. There were errors all over it. And short way through, I, I realized I didn't want to be a real estate agent. Yeah, um, thank goodness. So, yeah. <laughs> I love you realtors. We just don't want to be you. Exactly. And I tell my referral partners that all the time, you know, I really appreciate what they do. But I do enjoy, you know, being in an office and enjoying my weekends, from time to time, not always, obviously, but so I made the shift and took my mortgage agent license with Remick. And then my accountant actually found out that I was taking the mortgage agent license course, which is Jason Armstrong.
0: And he was a mortgage broker and any, yeah. yeah, Okay. That's okay. This all fits together now. It's like (laughs) clink, clink, clink.
1: You got it. Yeah. yeah. It's a bit of a long run up, but it gets there. But yeah. So uh, when he found that out, he was like, you know, I want to speak with you and kind of just get your thoughts and see, you know, obviously gauge if I was going to be serious about, you know, joining the industry and if I was gonna go full tilt or part-time or what have you. And we spoke and you know we kind of just hit it off because we had never talked on oh, that Jason's an awesome level. dude, like he
0: is salt yeah. of the earth kind of guy. I really like he Jason. Is. So yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So okay, he was your accountant. Jason happened to be accountant at the time and a mortgage broker. And I did a yep. podcast with Jason a while back and he actually sold that accounting business, which was the best thing he ever did because it allowed him to significantly expand his mortgage business. So that's fantastic. Okay, so you jumped into that. I have a question about border stuff. There's nothing with mortgages. But like, how come when you ship things across the border, sometimes there's duty and sometimes there's not? Like, It seems like it's arbitrary. Is that the way it is or am I crazy?
1: No, great question. So basically every single item, whether it's a screw or a car, has a code attached to it. And there's this big giant book which has since i left the industry has changed it used to be called the north america free trade agreement and it's this book it's thousands of pages it's literally super it thick looks like underwriting guidelines basically yeah <laughs> if you put on the and insurable and
0: not you know conventional yeah, ah, yeah. i'm sorry
1: <laughs> yeah you got it basically all these codes are attached to items like i said it could be as little as a screw or a car or clothing whatever it is you know The difference between a t shirt versus a long sleeve shirt, like all those things are spelled out. And basically, every item, depending where it's coming from, will let you know exactly how much duties will be charged. Usually, it's on a percentage rate. So, if it's coming from the US, because we have an agreement with the US, a lot of the time it'll be duty free. But if it's coming from somewhere like Guatemala, the same item might have duty. So, oh, okay. So, sometimes
0: it's like you order something from a US company, but if it gets shipped from somewhere else, correct if it's not coming from the u.s you'll yep. be hit with duty if they've said oh no problem they're going to have their suppliers send it to you from some other place
1: correct so whenever this one mean- of the
0: things you learn on the podcast about mortgages it <laughs> hey. is not like my wife does a lot of stuff and i was like this is just it seems like a scam <laughs> it's like a whole bunch of stuff comes through no duty and then all of a sudden bang 50 bucks right. like like what the heck like you know they're I know. just randomly selecting things that were they're going to charge fees on so okay yeah. that makes me feel like there's no a <laughs> system Um, I can sleep better at night now knowing this. Okay, so back to to mortgages. So when you started the mortgage business, did you go full-time, part-time? What was the transition like?
1: Yeah. So I went head first. I went full time. Jason was very blunt with me up front. And he said, you know, this isn't something you can kind of do half acidly. You really have to jump in if you want to be successful. And so I listened to his advice. Honestly, at that point, I wasn't making much money in the customs industry, but I had saved probably my yearly salary and so I was comfortable leaving my position and basically going you know full head tilt to the wind and getting in there and I'm glad I did to be honest with you
0: right we call it burning the boats at our brokerage and somebody goes from part-time I'm not saying everybody should do that depends on you know you could do it but not when you can it's kind of like burning the boats now you're okay I'm all in and I have to like I gotta make this work so In terms of that first year, so 2020 was just getting your feet under you, but 2021, what did you do in terms of volume and units, if you don't mind sharing?
1: So volume wise, I did just under 10 million. 10 million was my goal for my first full year, which was 2021. I got a little bit short of that. And I was pretty hard on myself. But then I looked at, you know, what I did in 2020, and how far I had come. And you know, the relationships I had built, and I started to ease up on myself a little bit. And then unit wise, I think I did I want to say it was maybe 16 files. Right. Well, you did like in the first
0: five or six months, you did like nine times more in the next year than you did in that first half a year. So, and then how's this year gone so far? So we're about six months into the year. How are you doing so far this year?
1: It's going well. I'm not where I wanted to be at this point, to be honest with you. I try not to blame myself, but I also, we always have to look at ourselves when we're talking about goals and stuff like that. So I think that obviously with everything going on in the industry right now, it has caused some hesitancy. And unfortunately I have seen some of, you know, the pre-approvals and the first time buyers and stuff like that, slow down a bit. However, I'm really really trying to get my communication out there you know we signed up with jungle late last year and that's been amazing to my business so i'm on track i think hopefully to hit my goal which is 20 million i think oh. by the end of this month i should be at around five and a half million if not a little bit higher in right. funded so i'm doing okay it's not where i want to be but i'm just you know, you're on on yourself, but,
0: and then you also have a pipeline. The thing is what I've noticed a lot of people right now have pipelines of people that are just kind of waiting. And so they're going to buy, it's just when. And so there's always a catch our breath and then there's another surge. And so that's interesting. Okay. So was there any point you like questioned, man, what did I get myself into? Or, you know, is there any point you're like the Valley of death where you're like, Oh my gosh, I should go back to the customs or something else. I'm curious.
1: So for me, honestly, not at all. I know that that might sound like BS, but I really didn't ever question the change. Like I said before, the industry I came from, it's an industry where you work your way up over, honestly, decades to earn what I earned last year in my first full year in commissions. You know this industry allowed me to purchase a home with my fiance which was my supreme goal of all my life I honestly didn't even think it would happen in my 20s and this is the industry that allowed that to happen right it is a pretty um, fantastic
0: industry well it is for sure yeah yeah so there was no point you okay now there's always files that you think back oh I could have done differently and there's always lessons in it so can you think of a file that you didn't go the way you'd hoped, and then what you do different? Because I think it's good for people listening to be like, it's all about pattern recognition, right? When you see stuff, then you hopefully don't make that mistake next time.
1: Yeah, for sure. So the one file that came to mind when I kind of looked at this question is one that I had, and it was honestly a single mom. She had some credit issues, unfortunately, and I wasn't nearly as capable of an underwriter as I am now. And honestly, I didn't do my due diligence on asking the right questions up front and really thoroughly reviewing the credit bureau. And unfortunately, I thought it was a clean deal or fairly clean. And when those issues started to pop up with the underwriters at the lender they unfortunately pulled the file and you know it was a refinance so it wasn't a necessity to close necessarily but in her mind it was and so looking back on this if i had done my due diligence up front and more thoroughly i guess looked over give me an
0: example of something obviously we're not speaking names here but like something specifically in the credit that you missed but that you'd catch now
1: Yeah. So there was a bunch of missed payments. They weren't recent, but a bunch of missed payments kind of in a row, no consumer proposal, no bankruptcy or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But just basically there was a history of her missing payments and she had explanations for all of these things. You know, she was going through all these extreme life, you know, circumstances that led up to this, but she had been rebuilding her credit and doing pretty well. And unfortunately the reason. In the lender pulled the file was not necessarily because of the missed payments, it was just because I wasn't upfront about it.
0: You didn't, um, yeah, you didn't have a story right at the beginning, and you need to explain correct. it all. And so, the, otherwise, it kind of feels like, ah, uh, this is messy. So, it's yeah. all about doing your due diligence. And so, if you guys are listening exactly. to this, you're absolutely right. If they're going to have a question, if you get to it before they can ask you it, they're going to be like, okay, check, 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 you approved, or no, this is too much work decline exactly yeah it's very important that the story doesn't change oh it's this oh no wait a second they're going to be like okay this whole thing sounds fishy yeah you know like as you can imagine if you were if you were lending money to somebody and they kept changing their story well i'm working no, all it's actually this you're like i'm gonna lend you money like forget that so where is the bulk of your business come from so you talked about like that you did almost 10 million last year where does that business come from
1: So mainly realtors, to be honest with you. Realtors are my bread and butter. I have a pretty solid referral network throughout all of Ontario. So, you know, in Windsor and Sudbury and the GTA, obviously, Toronto, Vancouver, other provinces. You actually have realtors and you're not
0: concentrated in one area you're across. Multiple markets.
1: So I focus on the GTA, but what I've found is that there's a lot of realtors out there who are kind of untapped. And you know, I actually learned this from your course is that everybody's scared that the realtors are already working with someone. And so my social media presence makes people feel comfortable with reaching out to me and so to be honest with you a lot of the realtors I work with actually reached out to me and said I don't have someone who I send all my leads to someone dedicated who I can trust you know can I trust you and then it turns out they're out in you know Alberta or um, like wow what's your social media is it Instagram or what is it that you're
0: finding the most traction with
1: Yeah, Instagram is definitely my go to, I would say I have a Facebook page, I recently made a TikTok. Finally, after (laughs) years of avoiding, you know, downloading that app, I've realized that it's actually really great. So TikTok is now where I'm doing a bunch of my stuff. But I would say TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, I have a YouTube channel with videos, I don't Upload to very often, but I really try to be out there. Social media is my biggest lead generation source. Right, so right.
0: Interesting. Yeah, I see you got like twenty six hundred followers. And so, with your social media, what is your posting rhythm or pattern?
1: <laughs> I wish I had one. To be honest with you, I post okay, well, Then things- may ask the question
0: differently. What's been the most sure. successful post or content that you've had worked the best for you?
1: I would say any reels or TikToks or videos that are geared towards first-time homebuyers because I think it shows off your personality. And so for Mm -hmm. me, people can usually tell up front that I'm a younger guy. And so I think a lot of first-time buyers feel a little bit or they gravitate towards me. And so all that stuff that makes them actually stop waiting and send you the message, hey, I have this question about this rebate or about this first-time homebuyers plan or stuff like that that's been my most successful posts and stuff I would say for sure
0: Right, right. And how's your TikTok going?
1: It's going okay. It's not bad. I mean, I think I only have maybe five videos on there now. I just started about a month ago and I have a couple of videos that have, you know, a few hundred to over a thousand views. So it's going okay, but I'm going to definitely scale that up and and grow it. One of my,
0: one of my agents, Zach Lafueda, who's got a great Instagram account as well. I recommend you go check him out. I think his mortgages with Zach, he took a video from Instagram. That he threw up on TikTok and on Instagram it did okay, but he did like 150,000 views on TikTok with that video nice. and generated a bunch of leads. So if you recycle some of that content, right? He got a ton of actually negative comments too. And I oh, guess really? what the, the, basically the post was something to the effect of like, hey, if you bought a house in the last two to five years, you probably have some equity. And if you want to take out some money to buy another property, I can help you. People are like, this is why people can't buy houses and the people just went nuts. Yeah. Like, but he ended up generating like six or seven leads from it. And that was just right away. And what I've discovered when it comes to social media is the people that are on your, you know, posts complaining are not your customers, your customers are reaching out to you. They're saying, hey, how can I, you know, and so there's a indirect correlation between those two things. But all the people arguing in the comments boosted the post and drove the downloads up, right? So if you have any content from the past, reuse it, basically.
1: It's a good tip.
0: Yeah, okay. So I should do that. Yeah, because you not you have already done it, right? You've got a pretty good Instagram thing going. So when it comes to like the mortgage business, there's two skills you need to master: sales and underwriting. Which one's been more challenging for you?
1: I would say underwriting for sure. Sales is kind of my background. I mean, my first ever on paper job was at a shoe store. And yeah. From what were you selling? From, yeah, so I was working at a famous footwear, which I honestly don't even know how many stores there are in Canada anymore. But they came from the U.S. and. Basically, it's just, you know, a ton of different shoes and stuff like that, you know, anything from dress shoes to sports runners and stuff. So that was interesting. It wasn't the greatest job in the world. But that was my intro into sales. From there, I went into clothing sales. So I worked, you know, throughout college at different clothing stores and stuff like that. And then, you know, going forward a bit, at my previous job where I was in the customs role, I was really basically a sales agent, you know, client right. management and stuff like that. So sales came a little bit easier, I would say, if not a lot easier than the underwriting did.
0: Yeah, the was- underwriting is a whole other beast and it takes time. Yes. And I found that it's very difficult to learn if you don't have real files to work on because 99% of people cannot retain reading Blender guidelines. It's just like... Whoosh, And you won't notice the nuance till you have a real person. And then you'll see, oh, everything looks perfect, except there's one nuance that you're like, I missed. Like you said, with the credit (laughs) stuff, you know, just all that stuff, nuance makes a difference. Uh, So you actually took our first, like, I think it was our five steps to 5 million or whatever, one of the the very first time when we started training rookies, because I had been something I was not doing for a long time. So for you, what was your biggest takeaway from that program?
1: So really, I guess how to have genuine phone calls was a big one. I'm not sure how well you remember, but I was adamant on being at every single game of phones call. I don't think I missed one throughout the whole course. And so you guys gave me some stuff and, you know, I think I got like a mug and an award and stuff yeah. like that, which is cool. But I was not very skilled at speaking on the phone prior to taking your course because I really didn't have phone calls and I know that's speaking to my generation we love to text yeah. but I needed to learn that skill. And so I learned how to genuinely have conversations and not just be sales pitchy. And right. that yeah, that yeah. has been a huge, huge impact. So, okay,
0: how old are you Devin you know what I'm, asking. I'm 25. Okay, so 25 and most you're right. Yeah. So what works better phone calls or texts for conversion for conversion not what's easier I'm just curious what do you, as a 25 year old, <laughs> Uh, what do you find works better for conversion texts or phone calls
1: phone calls 100 percent. it's without a doubt
0: yeah even though it's a hard thing to do but i would say it's like doing squats at the gym it's the best exercise but there's never a lineup for the squat rack everybody wants the easy machine the elliptical
1: Well, even, yeah, even clients a lot of the time, especially to be honest, around my age group, they'd actually prefer to just email or text. And I very much push for phone calls because I think it solidifies that relationship. And you can tell tone over the phone, right? You can't tell tone over
0: text. You can absolutely tell tonality and email is very difficult and it can be even misread. I'll tell you this. So here's why I think phone still is the king is that companies like Rocket mortgage. I've talked to some folks that have worked at those companies and knew they got click button push mortgage. The number of percentage of yep. people that do that is low single digits okay. because people don't click, I want a $600,000 mortgage without talking to a person. 100%. So if you think phone skills are gone or that phone is not important, even for a company that is heralded as good at tech, heralded at customer experience, they know that phones are where the magic happens. And so. Yep you've got to get phones down. One of the things that we recently did was heads up game of phones. So this is a new thing that, so you know how before we do the game of phones with the group? Well, so we just recently, a couple of my agents were like, hey, I need to get motivated to make calls. So they did the heads up game of phones. I'll explain how it works. It's freaking genius. Yeah. So what happens is, is they both put two bucks a day into a pot and the person who misses their calls or bails owes the other person. And so basically it's to see who's going to go the longest before somebody cracks. It's like who blinks first? And so they have to make five calls a day. They were like 10. I'm like, don't make 10. It's too many. Five calls a day. And they started last week and they've already been generating leads from it. And it's funny what we'll do for two bucks that we won't do for the $4,000 commission is not motivating, (laughs) but the pride and ego and the $2 is like, screw that. I'm not losing to you. And it's competition. It's competition. What I see is that if you look, if you ever had like you and your fiance, if you have friends over and you're kind of chatting, you bring in a game, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever it is, all of a sudden the energy level changes. You know, the focus changes. You can play like we played spoons and silly games and people just go crazy because they just, it's like, there's nothing to this, but yet mm-hmm. it's funny how it's extremely motivating. And so, yeah, I would encourage you to find a buddy and do that with we'll do heads up GOP. And I guarantee awesome. you, it'll get you going. Cause then I have another group that just doing a buck a day, but same idea, but you just basically do heads up and just wait to see who flinches first. And one of this guy, Brandon, he said last year him and his brother had one of these bets and it was on who would drink alcohol first and we went 300 days. So he's wow. like, I'm not going to lose. <laughs> so Incredible. I'm like, if you make you 300 go. days of calls, and it's only Monday to Friday, by the way, it's not weekends. So oh, okay, gotcha. Um, so just Fair. as a thought, you could do something like that. It might be a fun thing That's to do cool. to like, you know, that can get the competitive sure. thing going. Juices. We're okay, still so, doing Game of
1: Phones actually on our team now. So, are you? you Good. Know, yeah, so yeah. we can bring this up for sure. Yeah, do heads time. up.
0: It's kind of fun. It creates like, you got to mix up the game sometimes, otherwise the game can kind of get like, so I think this is a, a fun adjustment to it. All right, so let me ask you some rapid fire questions. You can answer shorter answers if you like. What's one thing people can't find out about you from Google?
1: In the last year, I discovered I really enjoy cooking, but not really for myself, more for others, because I can be a little bit picky, but I like to use different ingredients and cook for other people. So. That's, cool, that's cool, man. The
0: only thing I know how to make are drinks and popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> and, and those are new things that I've learned in the last year and a half, because I didn't do even do that. Uh, that comes in handy. But popcorn, not like in a bag. I'm talking about a okay. stove with there like you go. a huge pot. Like you got to get it down. <laughs> Okay, what's a movie everybody should watch at least once?
1: Pursuit of Happiness
0: with oh, good. Uh, Will Great Smith. Movie. Yeah, good book too. I read it, it um, many years ago. What three software programs or digital tools you can't run your business without?
1: So, uh, lender spotlight is one for sure, especially for new agents who have an issue learning lender guidelines. If you don't have this, like. What are you doing? Jungo through Salesforce or so CRM program. It's a bit pricier, but well worth it. And Ryan Wiley's VIP club. That was yours, of course.
0: Yeah, Ryan's like, hey, I'll buy that from you. And I'm like <laughs> the guy who, anyway, yes, the VIP club is fantastic. Okay, what's the best advice you received as a new mortgage broker?
1: Just do it. Stop complaining. I could use another word, but stop complaining and just do it. Get off it's your like blood, Shia LaBouf. Just.
0: Do it. Remember that video?
1: 100%. It's just like that. (laughs) Knowing
0: what you'd know today, is there anything you do different if you're starting over?
1: So I would probably set better boundaries. I know that when you're starting out, you know, you have to do some things that maybe a seasoned mortgage broker wouldn't do. However, you know, I was taking calls at 1 a.m., you know, or, uh, 6am in the morning I was basically I'd miss dinners and stuff like that just to take yeah. a phone call so just set better boundaries so that people respect my time more
0: yeah so one of the things we talked about at the beginning was like I was like hey so what's an area that you're like get some tips on or whatever and he uh, yeah. said saying no and so there's a couple of thoughts in this first I would say it's important to create a no-go list. So make a list of types of files that you just don't want to do because a, they're not in your wheelhouse that you're now when you're new. I always tell people say yes to everything, but you've already been around long enough now to know to be like, this is not a file I really want to because if you look at the files that take 80% of your time, it's going to be 20% of your files, take 80% of your time and create 80% of your stress. And you probably knew it up front. Like maybe not if you're brand brand new, but you're at the stage now, you're like, I knew this was gonna be a nightmare. Here I am, you know, hours into this file and the client's not happy. Everybody is like, it's just, it's like falling downstairs. So that would be the first thing I'd suggest. And then when you, as soon as you see that, just be like, you know what, think about some language on this. So, you know, I would say something like I made a commitment to my business, understand my client's needs, and I appreciate that you reached out to me, but unfortunately I'm not the ideal person to help you with what you're looking for. And I want to make sure that I always do the best for my clients. And so I recommend that you either A, talk back to your bank, go to your credit union, whatever, but you just gently tell them that like, I always start with honor, you know, thanks. Then you let them know that it's not a fit that it's because you're focused on the type of clients you're trying to serve. And it's not a personal thing. So because you can't serve everybody. And so I think it's important that you learn how to say no. Once you get to not a point, it's lots of yeses. And then as you start to grow, when you get to the tipping point, when you get to 20 million a year, the way to get to 50 is to say no even more, to get even more focused on the number of types of clients you want to work with. And Sylvia Ho was one of my coaching clients who did this. She was stuck at 20, 25 million for years. And it was only when she created a no-go list and started to get really focused on her ideal clients, she doubled to 50 in the year. This was even before wow. 2021, before the, you know, so it's counterintuitive. It's like golf. You know, how you want the ball to go up, you hit down on it. You want your business to grow, narrow your focus. You'll stand out more. You know, you like first-time buyers, you know, yeah. you get somebody who's a commercial mortgage, some weird stuff. It may seem like a lot of fun and potentially huge payoff, but I always felt like doing those files is like elephant hunting. The elephant takes forever. The elephant's going to kick you in the head. You're going to spend nine months on it and then it's going to die. Whereas I like gazelles. so I can hunt every day, go catch another one. So just be aware of like, you know, you want to manage your energy because you only have a limited amount. So yeah, man. Well, hey, congrats on your success, Devin. I'm glad that you're still doing game of phones. Try the heads up thing. I'm telling you, you'll be like, (laughs) just pick a buddy and just be like, let's go heads up and see who blinks first. And it doesn't have to be anything big because two bucks is all you need. The two bucks and the ego and the pride is enough to get you going like <laughs> ding, 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 making the calls, right? I like so. competition. So yeah, it's awesome. Okay, man. Awesome. Well, hey, where do people find you online? Just if somebody's looking for you.
1: Yeah. So I would probably just tell people to start with my Instagram page. It's just at and Mortgages. So my last name and mortgages with an S. And from there, if you click the link in my bio, you can find kind of all of my other social media profiles. That's where I'm the most present and Obviously, you can reach out to me anytime. Awesome.
0: Thanks, Devin. Good chatting with you. Yeah, you as well. Thanks, Scott. All right. thanks again for listening to this conversation with devin and a couple of quick things first the training program that he talked about that we put him through was the genesis for our rookie to rockstar program and the rookie to rockstar program is significantly enhanced like it's significantly better than what we had put through out there before even though what we built i think was good the new program is significantly better if you're interested in that you're a rookie go check out rookie to rockstar.ca got a webinar there we'll walk you through exactly how we help new agents succeed by building referral-based businesses Hey, in this next section, I chat with Reuben from Deedid about what consumers really want. Hey, Reuben, welcome back to Ask the Experts. Hey, Scott. Thanks for having me again. So, hey, let's talk about what do consumers really want, and we'll talk about how that relates to your mortgage business, but I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this.
2: Yeah, so this has kind of been a big realization for me, especially over the last couple of years and building a company and building, you know, more of a services and technology oriented company. And one thing I sort of realized when I started to take a look at, you know, the various businesses that are successful out there is ultimately the consumers will want and will pay for an outcome. And that means if they're applying for a mortgage and they're going through the whole process of you know, sending their documents and proof of income and all that sort of stuff. Don't forget that in the end of the day, all they really want is that money in their account or their new home keys in their hands, right? Now, what perhaps is a little bit more profound is not necessarily what the consumer wants. I know all of us want an outcome at the end of the day, but how do you want that outcome to occur? And again, the big realization there is they want the least path of resistance You want instant gratification. You don't want to deal with any hassles. You just want to get to that outcome, you know, sort of with the path of least resistance. And a classic example, and I know we've brought it up before, Scott, is Amazon. So on the weekend, I needed to buy some sort of cleaning detergent and I couldn't be bothered, you know, going to the store. And I looked it up on Amazon and I think it was about, you know, Significantly more than I remember it being in the store, about you know, $10 or $15, which let's say it's about you know 40% more than it would be going to you know, kind of my local Home Depot and picking it up. Mm-hmm. Now I still went with Amazon and millions of people kind of do the same thing. Now it's more expensive, yes, but what am I trading off for? I'm trading off for that path of least resistance, right? So how much is my time worth if I drive up to my local Home Depot? There's really no guarantee that they would have what I'm looking for in stock. And here I am now driving to the next store, to the next store, you know, before you know it, half the day is gone and you saved what? You saved $5, $10 or whatnot, right? Right. So that's sort of a classic example that we're applying in our business that realizing that, you know, at the end of the day, people want and are paying us for an outcome. And it's really our business to abstract any complexity, any hardships that happen in terms of getting them to that, you know, milestone or getting them to that result they want.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, when it comes to outcomes, there's this great story about an engineer. And so there's a big factory and the factory is not working because one of the machines is shut down. And so they call in this guy and he's like, can you fix it with everything shut down? And so he's like, yeah, I'll come in and I'll fix that machine. I can do that. No problem. I understand the machines work. He walks in, he's got a hammer and he goes and he taps the machine in a spot and the machine starts back up and factory gets running. Then he gives a bill to the owner for 5,000 bucks. and The owner loses his mind. He's like, I can't believe you're charging me $5,000. And he's like, no, it was a fair price. And he said, you know, he wrote on the bill, hammer five dollars, knowing where to hit the machine, four thousand nine hundred and ninety-five dollars. And so, like the outcome, it's like you talk about people pay for outcomes. And in that case, if a factory shut down, what is the cost of that? In your case, what is the value of your time in terms of driving around, looking? And you're right, I go to Ronan Blomore now that we just bought a new place, but they don't always have everything. And sometimes I'm now running to another place and another place, and it's a hassle, right? And if you get really clear on your outcome, so as a mortgage broker, or if your outcome and then who your ideal customer is, it's even easier because not everybody's your ideal customer. Not everybody should be your customer. The quicker you can say no to them and, you know, politely point them in another direction, you're actually going to run a better business. The brokers that I coach and some of my buddies that are coaches that run extremely efficient businesses have a very clear understanding of who their customer is. And they're very good at saying no to everybody else because that no turns into a great experience for the people that they know they can help. And everything else, you're better off to just, like, don't say yes to everybody. You know, I think that's a huge mistake. And then you can provide a specific outcome, right? So, okay, that's really good. So what other things do you think that consumers really want when it comes to... So first is they'll pay for specific outcomes. What other thoughts do you have?
2: I think ultimately, it all boils down, at least in my mind, to experiences. They want simplicity. They want instant gratification. You know, one of the classic things, maybe, you know, an early example is if you remember the time when Apple first came out with iTunes, right, the goal of, you know, the iTunes or the kind of the music store concept was pretty revolutionary at the time, right? You pick a song, click a button, pay 99 cents, within 30 seconds, that song is on your iPod, right, or on your iPhone at the time. Now, obviously, we've since replaced that with Spotify and a million other music streaming, streams, yeah, yeah, right? But, you know, that was a really pioneering innovation at the time. Now, when you push that 99 cent button to download the song, what a lot of people don't realize is just the amount of vast and sheer complexity there. There's literally about 3 million songs that you can download. Each one has an artist that gets royalties. Each artist lives in any one of 180 different countries with different tax codes. Billing happens. Download. You're making my happens. head or Just you're right. Right, totally right. Exactly. It, it,
0: what looks simple for the customer is not simple on the back end. There's a lot of complexity to create that simplicity.
2: Right. But it wasn't and it isn't the customer's job to be involved in that level of complexity. And that's, again, the beauty of the success of iTunes and other models that all of that complexity was abstracted in the background. So imagine, you know, going back to Amazon and, you know, you want to order your item and it'll say, Hey, Mr. Peckford, that's great. Which warehouse would you like it from? And how would you like us to bring it to you? And what time you're like, decision fatigue, right? Like, I don't want to, you're totally right. Don't
0: give me those options. Just make it simple for me. You're right. So that's a really good point. Yeah, I remember I bought a whole bunch of songs because I used to always, you know, kids when you're listening to this or people listening to this, we used to record music off the radio and the DJ would be talking on top of the song. You're like, shut up. And then the song would start and your recording would always have the DJ doing their little thing. And when this whole like my kids have no clue, right? They're just like Spotify and iTunes. They can listen to any song they want. But even the whole you are right, the 99 cent. But I think what you're touching on here, which I think is so easily missed, is the complexity on the back end to deliver that simplicity. The amount of infrastructure and, you know, planning and thinking that went into click. I'm listening to Mariah Carey. I don't know why I thought of Mariah Carey, but, you know, I'm listening to my Mariah Carey song that I bought for $0.99. And it's the same that we need to do the same thing for our mortgage clients. It needs to feel like click. Wow, that was easy. Even if on the back end, it's anything but easy. That's very interesting. So creating a seamless experience and thinking about everything from your customer or borrower's perspective is key to that. So people pay for outcomes, they want a seamless experience. What's your sort of last thought on what consumers really want?
2: Everybody wants value. Everybody wants good value, right? And value, you know, the saying value is always in the eye of the beholder. So I think, you know, from a conclusion here, people are actually willing to pay more for simplified experiences. Like we know, for example, not to you know belabor the point, but Amazon's not necessarily the cheapest. Instacart's not necessarily the cheapest, Uber is not necessarily the cheapest anymore. But people will pay for that premium for the convenience in a more seamless way to get to an outcome. And I think that's sort of a result of a lot more people realizing what their time is worth, what they're trading off time for. And again, time is the only finite Real resource that we have in our lifetime. So, you know, what's that one hour, two hours, three hours worth? And what can you trade that off for? Can you trade that off for more time with your kids or family or travel or listening to Mariah Carey or whatever else you enjoy, right? Please
0: don't be sending me Mariah Carey stuff. I'm kidding. I actually am not even a Mariah Carey fan. <laughs> I, I should have picked something more uh, you know, in line with my musical tastes. I totally agree with you. You know, there's this great book called The Power of Moments, and I think we've touched on this before, but yeah. And it talks about experiences and that people have the peak end rule. So the beginning and the peak and then the end is the things they think about. And one of the stories in the book is this Magic Castle Hotel. I've told you about this Magic Castle Hotel. Yeah. And how they have this popsicle hotline and they don't have to do the popsicle hotline, but adding that experience, like it's like this tiny little hotel in California that shouldn't be anywhere near. It's got 18,000 reviews on it. Like people just freaking love it because they've created a unique experience. To your point, it's not necessarily the cheapest. I'm sure you can stay at a Super 8, but it's not the Magic Castle Hotel. And if you are a parent taking your kids there, a hotel becomes, instead of a place to just sleep to go do something else, to go to Disneyland, it becomes part of the experience. And what I love what you guys have done at, at did is you've made the closing like that. The closing which a lot of mortgage brokers think of as just like the end part of the whole transaction you actually can create this magic castle hotel experience for people on the back end, Keeping in mind that if things we remember are the peak and the end as mortgage brokers, it's not over until they have their keys or until that mortgage is like that money's in their bank account. It's not over. So don't think end is just when they sign with you. That's not actually the end. And so I love that you guys are so focused on creating great experiences and the magic castle hotel of lawyer companies. So It's pretty fantastic. Give me a quick recap for people listening about what consumers really are focused on what they want.
2: So I think we said outcomes, so get me to an outcome, money in account, keys in hand, that's at the end of the day. You live or die by that outcome. Get me there as easy as you can, so eliminate the friction. We said abstract the complexity. Yes, there's a million steps involved. There's a million documents. There's hundreds of ways that a deal can go sideways. How do you abstract that as much as you can from your borrower so that to them, it seems like a click of a button, although it's Mm -hmm. not. And last but not least, people will remember and pay for value, right? So you may not have that popsicle hotline, like in the Magic Castle Hotel, but you do have to have something very memorable in your journey where it matters. And where it matters is of course, we know that it's the peak, the peak of any experience and of course the end. So it really isn't over when you think it's over. It's over when you get that high five or thank you email because everything's gone smooth and you've done a great job. And arguably, I'd say probably not even that. It's over when you get your first referral and then, you know, just rinse. Yeah, Or even better, home. this is the
0: beginning of a new relationship, yeah. an ongoing, you know, but yes, the end of that one experience is at the closing table that's when it's ended so if you guys listening to this and you want to create an amazing end experience like the magic castle hotel i'm not going to promise you that dita is going to send you popsicles but it is a fantastic experience for your clients and for you check it out dita.ca reuven i love what you're doing with your company keep crushing it and we'll see you on the next ask the experts thank
2: you so much great to be here again scott
0: All right, thanks again for having a listen. And hopefully you got some ideas from my conversation with Devin as well as with Reuven. If you're listening to this and want to grow your business, I highly recommend you go check out I Brokering.com. We have a power search account you can set up, which means you can keyword search all the past episodes, literally hundreds of episodes, find exactly where somebody says, you know, challenge credit or first time buyer or realtor or high net worth or whatever you want to insert and it'll actually bring you to those exact spots in the episodes so and you can listen and do research that is absolutely amazing check it out at i love mortgage Brokering.com. it's totally free and thanks again for listening to this episode this is an i love mortgage brokering production